0: Welcome to episode 5 of the Interracial Talks podcast. This week we catch up with our good friend Danielle. We speak about her childhood, growing up in London and her journey at uni and through clinical psychology. We hope you enjoy, share with your friends. Hope. Welcome everybody to Interracial Talks
1: episode 5. Um Today we have with us Danielle, who is a very good friend of both of us. Um, She was one of my bridesmaids who did an amazing job, so thank you very much. Um, And today we're gonna have a chat to Danielle about her experiences um, growing up in England from an Asian perspective, uh, and just wanna hear all about her experiences throughout life and yeah, just hear about it and learn. Lots from her, hopefully. Um, So Danielle, if I ask you to just briefly introduce yourself, maybe give a bit of information about you, and then we'll crack on. Hi, I'm Danielle.
2: Um, I'm 27 years old, and I grew up in East Ham, um, but I was born in Canada. Um, But yeah, grew up in. East London, and then moved to kind of Essex, a uh, cusp of Essex, London. Um, and I'm of a, a Punjabi Sikh heritage. So my grandparents were born in India. Um, yeah, and I currently work as a trainee clinical psychologist. So I'm doing my doctorate in clinical psychology, as Ooh. we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. So I never I never knew you was born in Canada, weirdly. No,
1: I actually didn't either.
0: Little tidbit? Yeah. So when did when did you move from Canada to England? Was it
1: when I was six?
2: So my dad um, my dad lives there and his family. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so when my parents divorced and came back to England
1: because mm-hmm. all my the side are here. Yeah. So what was that like? Do you remember that experience of moving over here? yeah
2: i do i i I remember being on the plane because we mum didn't tell us where we were going and then she told us that we were coming to england and we used to love it when we used to come visit so we were really excited um i don't think we knew we were going to be living here but um yeah that was like my standout memory was being on that plane
0: yeah i'm not surprised yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're not going back by the way just to let you know and, and how's it? Because so you said you lived in kind of East Ham. So when did you live there till? Or, yeah, when did you live there till? So
2: all my family grew up there. So that's where my grandparents kind of went when they first came here. Um, and so my mum my and her side of family grew up there. And then we moved into that house that they grew up in um, until I was about. 10, eleven and then moved over to Redbridge, bridge so the ilford area yeah
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then kind of always been in that area since and
0: how was it how was it growing up in I guess East Ham um yeah how was it growing up in terms of school you know anything stand out looking back now or even at the time
2: um I think well I moved schools times as well um mm-hmm. so i went I went to like multiple multiple schools so I was only in schools for about like maximum six months a year at a time um so I never really got, like a stable school experience until properly like settled in um ethics so yeah I, I think I nothing really stand out I think like it was quite diverse by that point as well for me so a normal kind of, sk- normal schooling experience. Mm. Um, yeah, which, yeah, I don't know. It, I think it was all just, yeah, just normal kind of. Oh,
0: yeah. Was there a big difference between, I guess, secondary school? So when you moved to Essex? Oh yeah, <laughs> big, Yeah? going um, to talk different. a bit more about that difference?
2: Um, Yeah well I went to like a really white school um, in Essex and so all my life obviously going to like racially diverse schools um, and I said I was school hopping as well and then secondary school I stayed in the same school um, for the whole seven years and that being a really white school. Do you want me to go into that? (laughs) Go go into it. Go into into it. it. Um, well I think it was weird because I think I think that's really where I think you develop as in yourself and your identity and everything um, in your kind of teenage years but I guess like in the school there was like maybe a handful of brown kids in my year and like a handful of black kids as well um, out of what like 150 200 people so, safe to say I didn't have many friends that weren't white Um, and the ones that I did they were mainly from like (laughs) Ilford, Romford ends and we'd all like get the train together Um, so that kind of says a lot in itself like all the other kids like the white kids obviously lived in the posher richer areas Um, and yeah I think that's really where I started to like neglect and reject my culture and heritage because it was I think it was about social survival um Mm. it was literally trying to assimilate into this like very white space and I don't think I was necessarily like really consciously aware I was doing this or like consciously aware of my race but there'd be like loads of times where i try to reject it and neglect it because of things that other people would say or um yeah about people who were brown so i know i would say i never really experienced like people saying racist things to me like derogatory racist comments but i heard it about other brown people um and like very very close friends of mine as well talking like can, what's the sort of etiquette on how much can i say you
1: can say you say what you want you're an adult
0: um, uh... But
2: yeah saying like effing packy c word mm-hmm. um like in front of me about like another around person um like with parents around as well like talking to parents so like uh, do you know when you're like in that environment you're suddenly acutely acutely aware of your race and you just kind of want to shrivel up and like go into a hole just because you just feel so like othered and I guess like in a way that made me want to reject my culture and heritage even more because I was literally being told that being brown was like the same as being bad or being dirty or being like being ashamed to be from the race that I was Mm um and I think I really like use (laughs) for example like my name being an English white name right um Mm -hmm. actually English, but a white name to um, like play on. So saying, well, I'm Danielle, um, got like thriving off being like a coconut, um, yeah. not being one of those like brown, brown people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because like, I think otherwise, if you don't, then you're like more subjected to that hate. Um, it is like social survival at that point. And like, mm. that's the only way it makes sense of it now. It's like, I literally was trying to survive socially. And like as humans, we try and do that. Um, like we survive off of groups, right? So it was social survival. And I think hearing from my parents and like family talking about how much like overt racism they experienced growing up, obviously in East Ham and the East End,
0: Yeah. Um,
2: like it was fed to me that you do keep your head down and you do assimilate because otherwise you're gonna experience really bad racism so you want to just try and fit in as much as you can Um,
1: and so uh, one thing came to my mind whilst you were saying that because you were saying that you'd heard people say racist stuff about other people in your school but not necessarily yourself and then hearing how you kind of you you tried to i suppose move away from your heritage and your culture as much as possible but what do you think it was at the time that i suppose there's two bits to this or well, no probably one bit that your friends just didn't a kind of say anything racially you. unacceptable to you but also say it in front of you like what do you think it was that made it okay for them for them to say it in front of you
2: I think, uh, well, first of all, I don't think I heard them say a lot in front of me. And I think when they did, it was a slip up um, because there were times when (laughs) they would, for example, call someone a Pathy and then quickly turn around to me like, fuck, I've just said that in front of her. Mm. Um, And and so, yeah. or like just that anger for example like coming out about someone else and then maybe forgetting I was there um yeah was that the question
1: yeah I yeah like I I guess I'm trying to understand from a young white person's perspective like what kind of makes it okay and acceptable in in our minds to use that type of language um but it was I guess, about your presence that made them think, actually, it's okay for for me to say this. Um, But as you say, it sounds like sometimes maybe being friends with them, they kind of maybe thought it was acceptable and sometimes it was a mistake. But did they ever, you said that they would turn around and quickly look at you, did they ever kind of apologise or realise that it was wrong or they just kind of cracked on? And
2: Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not apologies there yeah and I think that the striking thing for me is like that time I remember like a close friend saying it in front of well to a parent just goes to show where it was coming from as well obviously that language mm-hmm. was being used by the parents so readily so it was because what yeah.
0: I'm say is, is that they probably felt comfortable in saying it it was that mm-hmm. kind of white privilege that actually they can say what they want because at no point in their life have they had to deal with any repercussions of saying X, Y, or Z in front of you or anyone else because they're led to believe, and the system supports them that actually they can get away with that behaviour and nothing's wrong with that behaviour, um, because it's, it's a thing. And I'm, I'm going to assume it happens to you. Tell t- 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 me if I'm wrong. Is that when people say, "Oh, I'm not racist," I'm a black friend? It's like, whoa, hold on. Just because we're friends doesn't mean you can't do racist shit, and actually doesn't mean that we're friends if you're going to carry on. And I'm assuming that that my sons are going to be the same sort of things. That oh, I'm not racist because you're my friend, but they can still go mm. on and say what they what they think they can say, what they want to mm. say.
1: The thing is that even at that age, I was aware that that w- that would be wrong for me to say that. Just as your friends realised it was wrong because they turned around and looked at you and realised there was something wrong about using that language. Mm. So I guess now in like today's. I don't know maybe me as an adult a white adult like what can I do um, what would be helpful like I'm just thinking about maybe my behavior I introduced you and talking about like your Asian heritage and culture I haven't even checked out with you whether you're okay with me saying that like what what would you encourage your like white friends to check with you in terms of your race your culture your identity before we make assumptions
2: I think maybe just being curious and asking about it because I think I think we have been kind of lumped together into like a homogenous group and realizing that there's so many differences within even like the term South Asian for example like I remember that for me that's only been the last few years and I use it so much now to describe myself but Mm -hmm. a lot of Actual South Asians wouldn't really use that term or really understand it either. Mm -hmm. Um, and So I think going with, yeah, just how others want to describe themselves and their identity and Mm -hmm. just recognising those like nuances and specifics of people's heritage and culture.
1: So would you say your, your heritage is South Asian? You'd use that? kind of
2: term of reference yeah I think like I think I described myself I introduced myself as Punjab BC because Mm. I think for me that feels more fitting in Mm. with who I am and my identity um and I kind of say South Asian now just because that's more the term being used Mm. but then again it's so weird that we've racialized the term South asian or asian in general we're assuming there's no one else but brown people in asia um like even the term bame right so why we said black okay. asian but we're talking about continent and then we're talking about like a racial construct both yeah. the same. so Oof, nice. it's interesting how we use that language
0: yeah okay i agree really with that because yeah. like when people say that oh africa it's like hold on africa is a continent don't describe I me mean, if you're talking about africa I'll talk about specifically where in africa you're referring to because it's a continent it's not a country mm. the same, the same way you can't lump you know france and england together they're the same continent don't try and lump mm-hmm. the whole continent together because actually it's a mass line. there's so many different cultures across the african, african continent that if someone says ah oh, i'm i'm already my ears are up thinking hold on what, what are you referring to here because mm-hmm. it's not the same thing i think it's quite disrespectful mm-hmm. to try and label it as, as one generic thing mm-hmm. and i guess when you make i guess you said that people asking you about i guess um being curious about kind of asking about kind of your how you identify or your culture i always find that a bit tricky when people say oh where are you from because mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 percent is that where are you from yeah, is like, in what where, where, where did I grew up? Because I'm from London. One, I know which one I get to, I'm being I'm being difficult on purpose. Hundred percent And two, it's like, well, where's this coming from? Is this coming from a natural place of conversation? Because we're cool. So you know me, you know, we can have that conversation, you know, we, we can we talk about that, that's fine. But if I don't know you and you say to me, Where are you from? I was like, Well, hold on a second, you just so start. start to Me, I think that's something you're gonna ask and you don't really know, like,
1: because
0: yeah. that comes with a lot of racial baggage and a lot of racial, um, um, I guess like a lot of um, accusatory language and tone, as in you don't, you're not from here. So, I'm, I'm
2: yeah,
0: of who's asking you that question, and you know, how much do I know you before we get into that conversation?
2: And I mean, I think for me, it's like when white people ask where you're from to other white people, they genuinely assume that they're from England for example and then where in England are they from but when they ask black and brown people it's like well where are you where are you actually from um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's a podcast actually um, by like the BBC Asian network or something where they it's called where are you from um mm-hmm. and I think someone spoke about well when a white person asks I say I'm from London when like a black or brown person asks I say oh I'm from India, Calcutta, or
0: whatever. <laughs> 100%.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you i actually from, I know what you're asking. But I think that, like you said, the assumption behind it is different. Like When someone of colour, for example, asks, um, I say colour in quotation marks, um, but like when they ask where you're from, I think that com- usually comes from a place of more of curiosity, because you want to connect, mm. and... And often like it's like wanting to connect with that other person. Like I'll normally get that question asked more from Asian people because they're like, oh, are we from the same place? kind of thing. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, when yeah.
0: It's it's tricky, isn't it? It's really tricky because mm. I feel like some random woman, or random man or random person starts speaking to me and say, Where are you from? I'll be like, I'm from London. And I'll keep it to that on purpose because i want to see where they're going to go with it if mm-hmm. a person calling in quotation marks says oh where are you from it's a different conversation because the, the the content of the question where it's coming from is very different um yeah. interesting mm-hmm. um just kind of how you, how that happened it's, and it's such a, a, a normal question but if you ask someone who's what well, where are they from could they actually tell you? Could they tell you their, their actual background? Are they are they actually English? Are they descendants from X, Y, Z? They probably couldn't tell you, but right. they had this privilege to say, "Oh, I'm from England." So that like,
1: We had a, a conversation. We were in London at the weekend, and we went to the Black Pound A shop store in Westfield, and um, we started talking to someone, didn't we? Mm. And um, it was really nice to here Ken and this um, lady Anna talking about where they are from in Africa like where home is for them and um, all the like the lovely things that they associate with home and then Anna turned around and said to me whereabouts are you from and that is the first time in my life I'm 30 years old I think the first time in my life that someone's asked me that and I said oh yeah I'm from England and she was like yeah but but what about beyond that Like, where are are you, where are your family from? Where's your heritage? And I was like, I honestly don't know. (laughs) I was like, that's probably something that I should try and find out. And it was so interesting because yeah, like Ken just said, I've never had to think about that. But also it was so lovely to see Ken and Anna talking about the amazing things from home, the things that they associate with feeling at home and feeling comfortable and familiar. and, And then me kind of not having that knowledge of where I'm from made me think yeah like it's it's almost sad and obviously it's you know it's a privilege that I've not had to think about it but it's also really interesting to know. Cool Um, so my mum always my
2: mum yeah so my mum would always uh, Say, like when we'd go to random areas and it'd be really white for example she'd point out the Indian that would be walking on the street um and just be like oh look there's an Indian or oh there's a thing." um and I'd always think like why are you doing that it's so embarrassing can you stop doing that and I think it was also from like at that time when I was trying to reject my culture a lot mm-hmm. but I I understand now why it's because when I guess when they came over in like really white areas all you want to do is try and find your people and mm-hmm. try and yeah kind of integrate and connect and A
0: community sort of thing
2: exactly exactly um and so that's why like it's so important um for her whereas for me it was like oh gosh no not another indian <laughs> i need to get away from that
0: I, um, I remember my mum, sorry, when we moved to, we moved from um, London to Essex as well. So we moved to Pitsy. And I tell no lie, we have been there for like a week. And my mum had made like, she'd met like five different African people or people who were from Africa. And we were friends. And they were friends like instantaneously. I was like, mommy, who are these people? Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm 47. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to try and get to school and come home and do my homework. And she's asked, oh, come around have a look around the house and thinking who's this woman you just met like two days about the market and it's that thing kind of create that community which i just didn't get but now i'm out especially when i'm not in london i'm like oh there's some more black people yeah
1: i know i do it all the time now i'm like oh (laughs) brown person (laughs) so i guess a really like yeah a really good question to ask at this Moment in time. Not that I'm trying to big up my own questions or anything, but what kind definitely of definitely you did your own <laughs> questions, No pressure. What kind of brought on? What kind of triggered that change for you to go from rejecting your culture to thinking, "Oh, okay, actually, this is something that I want to explore."
2: Hmm. I think it was going to the university. Um, okay. So I went to UCL, so in London. And that being obviously a really racially diverse area. And suddenly I was around loads of brown people and I had loads of brown friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember walking this one time with like a group of us brown people. And I was so on edge. I was like, oh my God, people are going to judge us. Oh my gosh, people, what people are going to be thinking of us right now. Um, I didn't want to be in that space. And then it was from there that like realising that and those thoughts and really understanding where those thoughts came from um mm-hmm. obviously doing a lot of readings into like sort of anti-racist books and works um and just understanding how internalised how much I internalised racism um mm-hmm. and how much my family had done that as well um mm-hmm. And recognising that then helped shift into more accepting of my culture and actually wanting to be less, actually, yeah, less of a coconut and um, more welcoming my heritage.
0: So you mentioned when you when you're with your group of friends, you were walking, you didn't want to be in that group. What, 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 was the, what were the thoughts that were going through your head? So why did you not want to be seen in that group?
2: Um, Again, I think it was from, like, school and being told that being brown isn't a good thing, um, that white is superior. Um, I think, yeah, it it definitely came from that. I remember this one time seeing a group of, like, brown students on the high street when I was back in school. um, And I think there was a comment made about them. again and it was just like i don't want to be associated with that because that came with racism mm. um, so again i was trying to be as white as i could so suddenly being in a brown group thinking that we might experience racism right now and um, that was what really yeah worried me mm. about being around all brown people and not wanting to be a part of that
0: mm. Interesting. You mentioned things like you said, like trying to be like more white. So in, in what ways, I guess we're going back to kind when you're in school, in what ways did that transpire? So what did you do? So I guess to try, I guess it's I can't say the word. Simulate. Is that the right, word? Yeah, uh, simulate. Yeah, transport to my tongue off. Yeah. Like
2: <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily anything I did but i wouldn't for example talk about my culture or heritage or um again that there was a girl in my year who had quite like an asian had an indian name and Mm. people took the piss out of it and Mm. again i'd try and like stay away like hide from those sort of conversations and again Mm. just reassure myself oh my name's danielle so it's fine um and Yeah, just, I guess, just really trying to keep small and quiet and not bring Mm. up race or culture in any way that I could. Mm. Um, Yeah, though, again, I think that really, I think it was unconscious, but again, really affected my self-esteem because, again, I think like white being put on this pedestal of being superior and Again, that comes from India being colonised for like a hundred years, right? And being told that white is superior within India. Um, I think there's a lot of internalised racism and that's where colorism comes from. Um, and also in my family, I was always darker um, and I tan really easily. And I love being darker, but I always got um, made fun of and taken the piss my out family of my by my family, yeah, um, and still to this day do. And I don't think they realise where it comes from, and where their jokes come from. Because if they understood that actually you think it's funny because you're basically saying white is better and dark mm. is worse, then then they'd understand that they've internalised the racism as well. But they don't. They've just kind of carried on these horrible
0: tradition so yeah it's interesting how like normalized these things come into our, our day-to-day life you know you talk about kind of things like colorism which affects any personal color and mm. um, and how this construct of kind of the you know whiteness is is the you know the gold standard of kind of beauty which is which is really well when you think about how that then leads to how people how people feel about themselves, mm. um, which is it's it's an interesting concept because I've been reading about it a lot more recently as well, and like, the things that you just kind of pick up on it how it really affects people's confidence and then people like I say like, dimming their light to not want to be the who they want to be, like, not be them be themselves kind of being quieter and stuff like that which you know you're not, really, you're not a quiet person i would say from what i know you. you're not a quiet person you exude conf- confidence
2: that's really interesting you say that because i was the shyest kid growing up yeah. and yeah i've always been like categorized myself as that introvert who's had to be a bit more extroverted but mm. yeah i think my my self-esteem and confidence definitely a thousand percent knocked through school and mm. It's something I've been trying to work on throughout the years and only really recently understood how much these sort of white ideals have affected me. Um, and trying to be more confident in myself to
1: try and counteract that. That's so interesting. So it sounds like you've had to do like quite a bit of work yourself to kind of help you understand, yeah, everything behind your, your self-esteem, your, your confidence. So what's, what's helped the most for you? Um, I think
2: just re- understanding and realising how the world's been set up for white people. I think y- even if we do go back to school, things like, like the shades of tights, right? That we'd have to wear, nude tights. I couldn't wear nude tights because they were all really light.
1: Mm. Um,
2: or makeup back then there was no like such thing as like in between shades. So you'd either have like all the white shades and then maybe like one really dark shade and that was it. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
2: And you just wouldn't have makeup that was for you, it was great for you. So I think, and, and just understanding how like, obviously Asian, black and Asian bodies are like different from white bodies in terms of how, they look as well, and like being darker in, or like melasma and like the melanin in different places. And that's ugly, for example. Um, And understanding, I think, yeah, it's literally just understanding how we've idealized the white person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really helped me because it's realizing it's the structure and actually saying, "F the structure. Mm.
0: um yes and yeah just trying to get myself from there so obviously i guess a lot of reading is kind of a cut. i'm guessing because of well, this is my assumption because of 20 what the things that happened in 2020 or something you've been reading about generally speaking uh prior to kind of what happened, what happened last year with coven and things with George floyd and yeah, the subsequent i guess subsequent i guess you know uh, civil rights movement or more civil rights movement and more activism from kind of the wider community because I think prior to George Floyd a lot of stuff was being done by the black community and that thing being done by the age community but it was never this kind of almost this pull together uh, so, so I guess have things changed for you since 2020 and what, I guess what have you done differently? In,
2: differently in terms of
0: I guess, have you done anything
2: differently since 2020? I think I think a lot has changed since 2020, obviously. It was like the sudden interest in race by the whole world, um, which was really overwhelming. But also, I think that I think during COVID, obviously, as well, and a lot of racism came alongside COVID, um, And so it was the mix of the anti-racist work and the white fragility that came with that, but then also um, the racism that increased maybe because of that, but also because of COVID. Um, And I think for me, it was just trying to get more involved in being vocal about these things. Um, I think I had already started this sort of like anti-racist journey in a way um, before 2020. Um but 2020 kind of obviously like heightened things up and I felt going into my first year of the doctorate of clinical oh, psychology. Yeah. That's tough I without know. all of that stuff on top. Uh, but I think that also maybe made me want to speak up a bit more as well, I was saying this is now my identity. What sort of clinical psychologist do I want to be? This is the way I want to shape my career and who I identify as, so wanting to, yeah, speak up more and um, educate other people, um, or like share information that would get people thinking in different ways. So I'm thinking, I, I know it's like it, sometimes it can feel trivial, social media and Instagram and stuff, but I've had loads of comments from friends or friends of friends where They've said, actually, your posts have made me think about things in a different way, and I, mm. I've not thought about these things before. Um, and it's actually made me like think about myself, and my own racist actions, and mm. all of that. And that yeah. Kept me going in a way. Um, yeah. Oh, I completely like, agree. Yeah, I completely agree
0: there because mm-hmm. I think. I don't know about you, but I've definitely come out, I guess, oh, I'm trying to be a bit more in, intentional with kind of the things I do follow or, and what I don't follow and kind of, I guess, what, what they're putting out there and what is, I guess, the content behind it and kind of what what I do share. Um, and kind of just that kind of that mindset and that outlook on things is very different as well because I always, I think, we said this, we said this before, kind of, we start recording, I always viewed kind of like racing towards black people kind of, I guess, like, the, the Black community and the Asian community were, were very different. And I saw their issues as their issues and our issues were our issues. But actually, it's a collective because we've all, the Black community and the Asian community have, have all experienced racism based upon due to um, the British Empire and, and colonisation. And actually, their battles are our battles. And it's mm-hmm. not as simple as, oh, that's your thing, that's our thing. Actually, it's a, it's a collective because of an, an attack on you, an attack on me, effectively. Um, and i think that's been a big shift in kind of what i've learned and kind of how racism affects everyone because not just us it's a black thing or a brown person thing it's actually no it's all interconnected because if they can get away if they can get away and do it to you they'll do it to me and vice versa oh
1: sorry you go for it danielle i was just gonna say
2: quickly that i think it was that movement much more prominent in maybe the 90s and things with Black Panther movement and stuff where Black and Asian did come together a lot more mm. um, and there was that idea which is like controversial but political Blackness so where everyone's considered Black who isn't white um, yeah. and I don't want to get into that or anything but just like focusing on the collectivism of racism and fighting against the white power structure I think is important in anti-racist work um, because I think white supremacy literally thrives off of divide and conquer and so if they're able to do that structure is able to divide us and pit us against each other then what we need to do is unify and fight
1: back against that white power structure. That's really interesting. I have one last question. if i go for it and then if there's anything else you want to ask you can but just thinking about that and thinking about the events of 2020 thinking about things like black lives matter and then thinking about like people of color thinking of yourself danielle um how did you feel having all these kind of black lives matter movements you know really putting at the forefront black people um but then yourself obviously you know Punjabi sikh heritage, person of colour, like how did that affect you? Did it affect you differently than a black person, do you think? Or was it a similar effect for
2: you? Yeah, I I don't think I can say whether it affected me the same way or differently because I don't know what that experience Mm -hmm. was like. I definitely think my focus was on the Black Lives Matter movement and like focusing on how the structural inequalities and all of that, that does affect Black people and how that is different from maybe an Asian person. And thinking about, I think anti Blackness was a big thing that came up. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that within Asian communities as well. Mm. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think they're separate but the same. So you can do anti-racist work but also do um, against anti-blackness for example Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah just fighting for me it's still fighting for the same cause obviously I'm not black so I can't I didn't experience those events in the same way Mm -hmm. and I knew my my black colleagues or um, black peers were experiencing so much more hurt but Mm -hmm. feeling unified by the fact that we were all, I guess, like fame people. It also felt like I was part of that community,
1: so mm-hmm. their hurt, my hurt. Yeah. It's but, almost like yeah.
0: it's the same fight, isn't it? To an extent, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Mm.
1: I was just thinking because, like, when you look at a term like fame, it's like black and minority ethnic. It's like that kind of separates in a way as well. It kind of you've got the black mm. community and then the other people mm. so i was just wondering if kind of that term made you feel any kind of certain way but it sounds like that kind of you you still felt part of that movement
2: yeah yeah i do think that but i also think that black people and black communities have done so much work in getting the sort of racism and all the structural inequalities heard, and I don't think Asians or South Asians have done that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially the ones I know, we all tend to stay quiet, and I think that goes back to that whole thing of assimilating, keep your head down, and um, they're sort of uh, that's literally what I've been told growing up. It's like you don't rock the boat, you don't get involved, um, and so I think for that that's my only issue i think is that brown people and asian people should be speaking up more about issues um that affects the black communities but that also affects brown communities and asian communities um and that's on us to speak up more about it no one else
0: yeah no. It's, it's, it's yeah it's one as well because that, that whole i mean the whole term, term bame is I think it's been discussed to death that it mm. doesn't represent everyone because mm. you can't talk about my experiences won't be the same to you. So the same way I, the way I experienced, you know, the Black Lives matter, matter matter movement kind of throughout 2020 and kind of the stuff for George Floyd, that, obviously that would have had an impact on you, Danielle, but it would impact me differently. And I think you, I think there's a the one point where you messaged me saying, asking how I'm getting on this stuff, and stuff. We've had a few conversations where there's been a lot going on. Um, and so you're right. I think, it will affect us differently but i think mm. there's that commonality of actually understanding okay i don't know your pain 100 but i can recognize that what is happening i can you know you can you can appreciate kind of a bit more what's going on and you can have some sort you know like a tangible feel towards it um but i think you're right it is that thing it is that collective unity that is needed kind of moving forward mm. um especially with that and what, what we all do for work and kind of we have that privilege to be in places where actually we can influence our environments our work and kind of social media you know it's only a small platform but actually you can still influence those who interact with what you do um so yeah i think that's that really
1: cool so before we finish up is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to share or yeah just any comments before we finish
2: maybe just recogn- for people I guess people who, are, who have done the same as me maybe where they've neglected their cultural heritage I think just normalizing that as a maybe like a social survival mechanism um, especially because I think with the racism that I did experience I'd often ignore it as well and or like try and protect the people who are being racist Um, and just know that that comes from that wider idea of white supremacy. And once we recognise that, I think we can start to accept ourselves a lot more Um, and just, yeah, really valuing and relishing in our own heritage. Heritage and cultures, and celebrating those as well, which I think mm. is really important
0: to do. Definitely. Yes. Can I ask one last question? Because any books that you'd recommend, any podcast that you recommend? I, lo- I love a book.
1: Danielle's like, where can I start? <laughs> <laughs> the
0: bookshelf I start? is long. I've um,
2: actually re-listening to um, "About Race," the podcast by Rennie Lodge, Lodge, um, mm. who wrote the book. <laughs> Um, and yeah, her podcast on it. Um, I don't know if you've listened to it, but there's oh on one
0: mm. thing to listen to. It's kind of like saved, but I haven't actually started listening to it yet. Decent.
1: Yeah.
2: No, I, I've gone back to it and it is really, really good and interesting um, mm. to just hear about um, and all the, yeah, loads of stuff within it. So go mm. check that out.
0: There you go. Nice.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. You have, yeah, been so lovely to have on. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
0: Episode five, done. Thank you for listening to episode five of our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share with your friends and family. If you listen to an apple, make sure you give it a rating. We really appreciate it. And if you don't already, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Cheers. Bye.